you've stumbled onto the sleeping giant. Let's broaden our minds. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sleeping Giant podcast. I'm your host, Grayson Parker Marcotte, and I'd like to say thank you for joining me once more. I've got another show for you that's been a long time coming. Looks like 2021 may be the year to get it done. All these things I wanted to do, I'm, I'm going to do. We knocked out The Hobbit last month, and now we're talking the 1989 picture Batman. Do I, do I really need to say anything else about that before we jump in with my guest, Mr. Zach Brown? We had a good time talking about that flick, and I hope that y'all have a good time listening. Do be sure to check Zach out at Zachary Jackson Brown Art on Instagram. Zach is not only talented beyond the scope of a dingus like myself, but he has an incredible eye for the horrific and the sci-fi. He does post, and that's Zach I'm talking about now, he does post a lot of his work on Instagram, and you'll also find links to exclusive artwork and t-shirt designs from Zach by clothing companies like Fright Rags and Monster Tees. So, y'all check that stuff out because Zach is a cool cat and he deserves your dollar bills. Now, if you'd like to do this cat, yours truly, a good turn, you can rate and review the Sleeping Giant podcast on Apple Podcasts and uh, make sure that you are following or subscribed, as it were, on the podcaster of your choice. Also, feel free to check me out on Patreon where you can support me for... One dollar a month, or hell, nothing at all, because you don't actually have to become a patron uh, to obtain all the content that's currently available there. But if you want to throw some cash my way, uh, I'm sure that my God's going to bless you. Now, don't forget to throw me some love at Facebook and Instagram, where you can find me at www.facebook.com slash Podcast, and also on Instagram at the sleeping giant podcast if you're feeling froggy you can find me on the twitter machine at tsg underscore pod okay now the uh now that the obligatory promo shit is over y'all get comfy because we are about to begin hey zach you there hey uh how you doing grayson i'm here I'm I'm very well, thanks. I uh, I'm very pleased to have you back on the show. I think uh, the last one that we did together was uh, Scrooge. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Yeah, man, that was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, today or tonight or depending on uh, where you are all at, my dear listeners, uh, we'll be talking Batman now. This is one that you had presented to me pretty early on, and you were quite keen to do, if I recall. Yes, yeah. This is one of those movies that I could talk about forever. <laughs> I've got a, plenty of opinions about it. Okay. Well, I, I do as well, and, uh, I, and I will say that it is one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh, yeah. this is uh, I think this is the one movie I have seen more than any other movie. I've uh, rewatched it that many times, so... <laughs> It's definitely one of my top, one of my top <laughs> favorites. That's awesome. Well, uh, let's see. 
What, uh, gosh, what all has happened since the last time we spoke, the last time uh, we had you on the show? It seems like life just gets crazier and crazier every time you turn around. Uh, I don't know about you, um, but I've definitely noticed that, uh, I guess, in the world of of social media and and certain aspects of uh, media and entertainment, things have gotten particularly weird. I mean, we all know that uh, COVID is still something that we're all kind of grappling with in, in some form or fashion. Some of us, I think, are affected by that a little bit uh, in, in more severe ways than others. I think we'll put it that way. But I have noticed that uh, here, in particular, Facebook, Instagram, places like that, where you know, it's it's an unfortunately useful tool uh, when you have something like a podcast or you are a, a creator or artist uh, one thing I have noticed is there's been a little bit of uh, divisiveness in that we have our, our, our old pal Gina Carano uh, was recently let go from Disney. And I think it's very odd that in this whole time of <laughs> divisiveness with, uh, you know, with the past administration and the current mm-hmm. administration, you'd think that uh, people and their attitudes would have kind of come out of the woodwork and made themselves a little bit more clear. Uh, but I have found that the very peculiar thing is that the the whole Gina Carano situation seems to have really polarized uh, individuals on Instagram. I mean, is that a stretch? Have you noticed? Have you noticed it's, that? I don't know. There's just like a very toxic fan culture. And I didn't expect that to be something that would be polarizing. But I guess... It's nothing's really changed right now. I mean, all the uh, I would say all the attitudes that have been inflamed by the past administration have just kind of held steadfast. They've, uh, you know, they've been emboldened and they're not going to really go anywhere. But I've just I've learned my lesson about making comments on anything. I'm just going (laughs) to be quiet and people can just comment on my stuff and I'll talk to them. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that you know what that might not be a bad idea. Um, and I know this seems kind of like to anyone listening, it might seem like a strange thing to just jump into uh, with you on as a guest. But the reason that I mention this is because I suppose we uh, we had a we the two of us had a, a brief encounter or exchange with with somebody on Instagram, and a lot of the people that I talk to and that I comment on their stuff, it's the same people that I've. I've known for a long, long, long time. Yeah. Uh, and I wouldn't call any of them really close friends or anything like that. But, uh, you know, the Insta fam, as it were, uh, you know, is is strong there. So very shocked and surprised to see some of the uh, some of the attitudes coming from from that sort of thing. Now, it, it seems to me, though, that uh, it seems to me that that this person, uh, this actor, had kind of been uh, on thin ice and and for all intents and purposes was probably uh, already no longer employed with Disney. Um, so I, I think that even though we saw some of these reactions from people, it's funny because the conversations that they started uh, weren't even framed by the proper context. Uh, and the, the, con- the presumed context, of course, is that 
she was let go based on one thing that she said, where in reality it seems that it was many, many things. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that were that were disagreeable. And just to clarify, uh, I, I don't think that I need to, to restate my position, uh, but COVID is a real thing. People are getting sick, and uh, trans rights are human rights. I'll just go ahead and, and make that clear. So... <laughs> I, I don't think that uh, I don't think she was really making friends in, in any of, of the places that I would consider to be uh, wholesome. Yeah, it's very unfortunate because I just there's people that I guess I wouldn't have expected to be so supportive her of her. And at least uh, I would say like one individual was having a respectful discussion about it while everyone else kind of jumped onto this one thread and was very just like toxic. And it's kind of like that, that idea that if you just shout loud enough, you're going to be right. Right. That's, that's kind of what it felt like. Yeah. It was just, no one could really back up their argument without like resorting. To just, I know one guy did like insult my intelligence twice or you oh, basically yeah, I said I, I was, yeah, he said I was learning. I'm, a, I, you know, I was learning disabled because I didn't understand the context of what she had said. But it's like whatever. I um, I personally don't think that she is anti-Semitic, but I also think that she made an extremely unfortunate decision and continues to make those decisions. Uh, so either she doesn't understand what she's doing is wrong. Or she sees that people are supportive of her. Some people are still supporting her, so it's kind of emboldened her to just be the way she is. But yeah, <laughs> I yeah. I think she was ready to get out of Disney. I, I, it seems like she was kind of just looking for a way out and just decided she was going to go for it. So it's it's whatever. Um, it's yeah. disappointing because I did really I liked her character mm-hmm. at the beginning of the show and it's it's just weird nowadays i think it's it's become more difficult to separate the art from the artist very so it's just like well you know whatever i'm not gonna miss her so (laughs) yeah and that and that is something that is very awkward uh and i'll say this um you know because i don't feel like um you know keeping secrets or keeping a lid on anything you know i i am who i am and uh there you go I did go ahead and uh, I did sneak my last, or uh, not my last, but my uh, Gina Carano auto from Mando season one. I I saw it for a very reasonable price, and uh, <laughs> I snagged that because I'm a completionist, and yes. you know I that's that's it. But the, the difference is, of course, I will not be getting anything else, uh, you know, with her character on it or seeking her autograph or anything like that. Um, in fact, I, I'm in the midst of a, a project right now, and I, I may talk a little bit about that later, but um, it will involve some artwork featuring characters from The Mandalorian, and I thought that it might be cool to have, when it comes time for Cara Dune, to have, the, uh, to have her likeness resemble that of uh, some of the concept art and the art of The Mandalorian as opposed to uh, Gina Carano. Just, I mean, you know, maybe that's cool. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But it seems like if I can exercise some control over that and that's a choice that I can make, then then that's the direction I'm going to go. Yeah, that's definitely an interesting idea. That's kind of a 
a way to work around it because we're not really, uh, you know, upset by her character. It's just uh, the actress that's playing her and her decisions. Exactly. And and, and it does create a quandary, um, especially in, in my mind, uh, someone who, who considers themselves to be an artist. And I want to ask you uh, how you feel about that sort of thing when it comes to separating the art from the artist, because uh, I, I don't know if, if you keep up with this sort of thing or, or if anyone listening to the show does, but I, I grew up listening to a lot of Marilyn Manson. In fact, uh, <laughs> you could go so far as to say that I like uh, idolized the guy, um, possibly even was obsessed with Marilyn Manson. And I, as an adult, some of those older records uh, and, and maybe one of the newer ones, they're still very solid to me and there are still some songs I really, really like, but uh, uh, Marilyn Manson evidently has been a, a very naughty, naughty lad and has really mistreated a lot of people. And it's kind of, you know, come to the surface. And and I don't like to um, I don't like to jump on anyone's side. I don't think that that's uh, appropriate. I mean, I know that especially in this day and age, you you want to be supportive of of people, especially people that have been wronged. Uh, but I also believe that sometimes people just be talking shit. Uh, in this particular case, though, <laughs> it, it's very hard for me to believe that uh, that that Manson is is innocent of you know the majority of of the things that he's being accused of. And so, in this instance, what do you do? You know, I mean, I know there was the question with R. Kelly, um, but I was never a big R. Kelly fan anyway, so it didn't really matter that much to me. Um, mm-hmm. where in this, I find that earlier today, I was like, oh, I want to listen to this Manson record. And I was like, well, should I do that? Can I do that? Um, does it make a difference? Does it matter? I mean, ultimately I decided not to, but you know, it's just weird. I mean, do you write the artist off? Huh. I was listening to, I believe I can fly another day <laughs> from the space jam soundtrack. So, you know, that's our Kelly. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was always more of a Rob Zombie fan, but I do like a lot of Marilyn Manson's music, and I definitely would not be—I won't be buying anything new or supporting him because it's really mm-hmm. disappointing. I think it's—it's it's more difficult for actors because you see them as a human being, and whenever you see them act again on screen as a human, all you can think about is these other things that you know about them. Sure, I think the degree of separation. Uh, grows as it becomes, uh, you know, a maybe a visual medium like two-dimensional art or film uh, mm-hmm. or music. So, I mean, I don't know. It is a shame. I uh, I have a funny story. I always tell to different people that uh, I used to, you know, I used to go to church when I was a kid. And one time, I remember in youth group, they. Uh, our youth group leader was telling us a story. Now, I can't remember Marilyn Manson's real name. Do you know it? Brian Warner. All right, Brian Warner. That's right. So the guy was telling us a story. He said, you know, there was this kid and his name was Brian Warner. And, you know, he was going to school and everybody picked on him and made fun of him. And, you know, the whole story went on and on about like how he, you know, got picked on and he like stopped going to church and all this stuff. And at the very end of the story, the guy was like, and that boy grew up to become Marilyn Manson. 
And it used to just make me bust out laughing to recount that story because I remember when he said that, this was this wasn't the first time that I started to um uh question religion, sure. but that certainly was one of the big moments. And I was I kind of looked around. It was kind of like one of those moments, like if you were on the office, you would look at the invisible camera. Sure. And I was just like, Am I hearing this right? And I just thought that was such bullshit that he was just saying, like, oh, he had become this terrible person because he got picked on. He stopped going to church. So it just it sounded like bullshit to me. But um I just thought that story was so funny. And I used to think, well, isn't that cool that he portrays this character? This is like his stage presence that he is, mm-hmm. you know, he's built up this identity, but he's really not a bad guy. Especially, I think it was because uh, I think it was because what he said in the documentary Bowling for Columbine. Right. I just thought what he had to say about, you know, the school shootings and stuff was really interesting. Mm hmm. But then he goes on, like this comes out, and I was like, "Well, damn it! I guess he really yeah. turns out to be a shitty person, and they were all right all along." So and cocaine's a hell of a drug. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's just uh, it's disappointing. But it's it's going to be difficult for me to to not listen to some songs, I guess, when I when I feel like it. I certainly am not using them anymore, and like my stories and stuff, because yeah. I I like to uh, I do like a few of them, but it's. It's strange. You know, I can still watch um, Rosemary's Baby, mm-hmm. even though uh, the director turned out to be a, a piece of shit and ran off to oh, another yeah. country. So, you know, the, I can respect that. I think that's like that degree of separation and probably time, too. As yeah. time goes on, it won't be as fresh in everyone's memory. And I don't think we're going to forgive him as a human being, but... You might like hear a song and not think, you know, it may not be the first thing you think about. So, right. yeah, I think that's that's the way it goes for me. I'm, I'm not actively seeking out the music now, but who's to say, like, t- as time goes on, if I don't if I hear a song, I'm not going to hate it, but I'm not going to like anything new that he's done. And to be honest, I really <laughs> I probably don't think I, I've heard anything new from him past like the early 2000s. So. I'm not yeah. really sure what he's doing anyways. I don't think you're missing anything. <laughs> so so you're good. I And I mean, that's just my opinion. Like I said, I think there was one record that I just really enjoyed, um, you know, probably in the mid 2000s. And uh, and that was it. But uh, yeah, it, I think you're very right to say that about time. Uh, time doesn't necessarily heal the wounds, but time puts the distance between the artist and the art, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, like in the case of Roman Polanski, there's a, a another podcast that uh, that I listen to. I'm a big fan of Dead and Lovely. They're a horror movie podcast. Steve's actually mm-hmm. been on this show. Shout out to uh, Hollywood Steve and Uncle Ben. And they they bring that up quite a bit when when they talk about films from um, from creators like that. Like the fucking Jeepers Creepers guy comes to mind. Yes, yeah. Um, and basically. Uh, well, it's easier for Jeepers Creepers because it's kind of a dog shit movie. Uh, but, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, in the case of people like Roman Polanski, you know, you just make your opinion very clear. I think you make your opinion, your stance on on those things very clear. And then it's just sort of now that we've hate fucked this guy <laughs> yeah. in conversational form. Now we can talk about the art. Um, and, and that, I think, makes it a little bit more palatable. Yeah, and even with a film, you know, it's not like it's it's the not the responsibility, but it's not like it's the creation of just one person. Exactly. 
you know, it's everybody helped to make that movie, not just this one guy. Mm-hmm. So I think that helps. But yeah, the more uh, singular and personal connection an artist has to their art, I think it may be harder to separate it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with that wholly. And I really appreciate you saying that, too, because uh, my brother and I were having a conversation. We were actually recording uh, the last Jedi episode, which will hopefully be coming out in the next couple of months here if mm-hmm. the scheduling works out properly. Uh, you know, regardless of, of how you feel about a movie like that, where whatever your attitude is, um, I'll just go ahead and say, for example, there are a lot of people out there that really fucking hate that movie. Uh, and they'll just talk incredible garbage about it. And it just, it astounds me because it's like, do you not understand that so many other people worked on that and put their heart and their soul into it? Um, you know, just for your shitty dude, bro opinion to, to somehow like matter or, Mm -hmm. or seem remotely significant compared to, everything that went into that film's production no i don't think so like shut the fuck up get out of here (laughs) uh it's just it's incredibly destructive in my opinion um because you're really discounting a lot of hard work and you're discounting a lot of talent yeah i just don't like that level of toxicity anyways and it's just uh i don't know it's strange i mean i i still agree the original trilogy is the best it's my favorite um, but nothing's perfect and I can still mm-hmm. appreciate new things and be open-minded when they come out, but I'm never just vehemently angry at something. I mean, so what if like new Batman shit comes out and it sucks? It's, it's disappointing, but that doesn't mean I can't go back and watch the older things that I really enjoy. Yeah. It doesn't change what the character is to me. If modern comics aren't getting them right and they kind of are just dull, it's fine. It's like I can always go back and see something else, something Mm -hmm. I do enjoy. All these things I've collected. And you know what? At some point in the future, it's going to change again. And it's going to exactly maybe swing back. The pendulum might swing back to the version that I like. So it's I don't know. I just never get like that pissy about it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, the the fact that you said that it, it does mean a lot to me because that's really the kind of attitude that I've adopted now. Like you're gonna get uh, in a franchise that has endured and f- for the foreseeable future will endure. You're gonna get a lot of different flavors, and and it's almost guaranteed that you will not like every single one. I mean, I'm a big fan of food, big fan of eating, but there's some <laughs> stuff out there I really don't fucking like. Um, you know, but, uh, there's a lot of stuff I haven't tried yet. You know, I don't, maybe I'm just really hungry and I should stop making these sorts of analogies. (laughs) Um, anyway, (laughs) that, that all being said, I am curious, is there, uh, is there a a recent Batman film that you have not dug? Oh, Justice League. Okay. Yeah. I think we're, uh, we're going to be talking about that on, um, superhero stuff. You should know really soon. We're talking about batman versus superman now and i'll tell you justice league is the only movie i don't own with batman in it i even got suicide squad (laughs) and that's that's pretty much garbage that's saying a lot wow okay uh, yeah it's um i i won't say that like i just adore Zack snyder's vision and think that Mm -hmm. it's the best thing ever 
but I am interested to see what comes of his cut of Justice League because uh, what we got is just, uh, it's kind of just boring and sad and like a, I don't know, it's just, it's not like it was the worst thing that was ever made, but it it was just weird. And Care, I, I talked to you talk like that. The, the Snyder uh, ninjas are lurking. <laughs> no, they, they don't know. And, uh, you know, they they can listen to the episode and see, too. I um, the first time I saw Batman versus Superman, I was I had a lot of mixed feelings about it for a long time. And I. I have slowly warmed up to it. And after watching Justice League, it has given me like a new perspective because I was like, well, you know what? At least it tried to be something different, and it, mm-hmm. it 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 can be viewed as maybe an unsuccessful experiment, but at least an artistic experiment, and I can appreciate that and respect it compared to Justice League, which, from what <laughs> I've read, and it's visible that it was just a, a hack job from like, uh, you know what what Zack Snyder didn't finish, and just all this uh, input from the studio and trying to morph it into more of a marvel movie Mm -hmm. because it feels very like safe and copycat and it just is like the total shift is just so crazy so you know i'd rather see what he intended and i'd rather see another experimental version than than what that became because we talked about it too i think it all depends on when a movie comes out Mm -hmm. and when that movie came out it's like Marvel had already been riding this wave of success and everybody wanted that. Uh, they wanted their superhero movies to be like that. And I think even after like the Dark Knight movies, it, that's kind of what everybody was expecting. And I think if you didn't go in with those expectations and maybe you would have had a different opinion about it. But yeah, I'm not. none of them are flawless. And I will stick to that, that I, I don't like every part of it. I do still really like Batman himself, but mm-hmm. I, uh, yeah, the Justice League movie is just bizarre. I don't, I think he's kind of disrespected in it and turned into a cheese ball. And yeah, Henry Cavill's like upper lip. I think that's like the standout moments of the movie for me. <laughs> Mustache gate. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's weird. That, yeah. That, that will take you right out of it. Uh, and that, yeah, that's seems like all the money that you put into something like that that could have been that could have been fixed uh could have looked a lot better um i i i will say that i have no desire whatsoever to watch justice league um now the snyder cut that's a different story i i I would like to see that and I'm, i'm glad that you brought it up um i i do want to say very quickly about batman versus superman that that was a movie that I was really looking forward to. And, and, and when I saw it, I was immensely let down by it for not, not necessarily stylistic reasons. Uh, it just didn't make sense to me. Yeah. Um, but I will tell you that I did buy the movie and I do own it ironically um, <laughs> because I was on a, uh, I was on a podcast and, and we were doing, uh, it was a film club, and and we did Batman versus Superman. So I bought the movie because I, I um, it was that particular version that I wanted to watch. And I will say that that particular cut of the film oh, yeah, the fixed a cut. lot of things. Yeah, so it, it wasn't this terrible monstrosity that I had uh, 
you know, that I had perceived it to be the first time that I watched it. And, and again, I was very excited by it. Uh, I've always had a, a strange animosity towards Superman and <laughs> it, I didn't understand it until, uh, viewed through the lens of Batman. The, the the reasons that I don't like Superman are the reasons that Batman does not like Superman. <laughs> <laughs> so the so the build up for that movie was pretty incredible to me. Uh like when you saw um Ben Affleck's Batman, you know, ask uh, do you bleed? You will. Oh god, mm-hmm. that was just the coolest thing to me. <laughs> so. Yeah, I do think the ultimate cut is better. It uh that's the only version I own. I think I just ordered it on Blu-ray cuz I was like, all right, let's, let's see it and see how it is and it definitely does make everything a little bit more cohesive. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, this uh I think Snyder is a lot like Tim Burton in that he uh sometimes sacrifices substance for style and mm-hmm. it's all about like how things look and I can appreciate that. Um but yeah, I was I was let down too. I I was kind of in uh, doubting if I liked it or not for a long time, or mm-hmm. um, trying to tell myself that, that I did enjoy it. But it, I had a lot of mixed feelings about it for a long time, and yeah, it was um, it's definitely grown on me. And I don't know if I have the same amount of animosity for Superman. I do think he is oftentimes boring, but I do. Uh, like the Superman in the uh, Superman, the animated series, the same people that made Batman, the animated series. I think that mm-hmm. is the version that I really like, and I am not bored by him. I uh, I think that's the best version of him I've seen on film. Uh, so, you know, maybe in the future, if they do something again, they can do something a little closer to that. But I'm, I'm open to interpretation. I just kind of want to see a Superman movie without Lex Luthor. I want to see, like, Brainiac and Metallo yeah. and Toy Man, like all these really cool villains that just, you know, I'm tired of seeing Lex and Zod. They're kind of boring to me. Yeah, they're they're kind of like the they're staples in a way. Um, yeah, I I do need to go back and check out that Superman though because I I know that there are writers that I admire and whose work I really enjoy that have worked on Superman. Uh, and, and again, I never think that a character is just useless and, uh, and terrible. I mean, giving Swamp Thing to Alan Moore is pretty, uh, indicative of what you can do with a dead character. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I, I, not that Superman was ever dead, of course, but just that, you know, you, different writers can, can breathe different life into a character. And, uh, and so I don't want to write Superman off completely, but. All I'm saying is that if I had a kryptonite ring, I might take a go. Like that. <laughs> I, might, I might have a go and just see what happens. Um, yeah, but well, uh, if if that was like any any of the fights that I've been in uh, in life, we're usually having a beer uh, very shortly thereafter. So, um, okay, so let's talk about Batman. Yeah, I'm 1989, ready. directed by Tim Burton. Uh, this this was a movie. That's for sure. I remember being in this. I remember going to the cinema and being in my chair uh, when my family went to see this movie. But that's it. I don't remember anything about actually <laughs> watching it um, on the big screen because this film has kind of it's permeated my existence for as long as I can remember 
the movie being a thing. Uh, as long as I can re- recall the movie existing, it's just been a part of my life. So I don't really recall seeing it for the first time. It's just sort of always been. Uh, what What is your perspective on this film? How did you come to uh, How did you come to know this movie, and, and what brought it into your life? It's a lot like you. I don't remember a time when it didn't exist, and it's definitely a part of my DNA. So uh, I was born in 1989, so I didn't get to see it in the theater, but I just remember it as being one of the first movies I ever watched and us having it on VHS and me just wearing the tape out and <laughs> yeah. watching it constantly. I just, that there was, um, there's Batman, there's Beetlejuice, and there's Hook. And those are the three movies I remember watching over and over and over again as a kid. So, I mean, the first time I watched it, I must have been like three or four because I remember watching um, Batman Returns on VHS. And when that was a thing, and that's 1992, so I was uh, three then. But I remember going to the movie theater to see Batman Forever. So by that time, I was six. So I really, I'm sure that I watched batman when i was three or four and just yeah it's just always been a part of my life i've uh i watch it at least once a year and it is just this uh like you said it's this thing that's always been for me and i i know it by heart like every bit of it and it's it's style and like sounds music and like the imagery from it is just so burned into my brain that that's, you know, that's like the versions of the characters that I would always want to draw the most or that are just kind of like my go-to. Not that I think that, you know, looking back now, Michael Keaton's Batman isn't exactly like the comic book Batman. And even mm-hmm. with his flaws, he's still like the one I think back to the most as far as my my favorite, because that's like my first Batman well, you know, it's so Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne Batman is is so weird um, for obvious reasons, uh, <laughs> you know, most of which he, you know, he experienced and, and the production experienced when when it was announced that he would be playing the character. But for me, it's weird because it makes sense. And, and that is odd to me because when I think of Batman, I always think of Michael Keaton. Uh, I don't think of any other Batman. I don't think of any <laughs> other version of, uh, of the character. And the reasons are for me, he had a very uh, menacing screen presence, um, which it wasn't necessarily in his stature or the costume. It was just the look that he had in his eye. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that was always pure Batman. I mean, Christian Bale, I think that he is absolutely wonderful because he brings that sort of ferocity uh, of, of, of the Dark Knight or what you would expect to, mm-hmm. to see from like a Frank Miller Batman. Um, but, uh, but Michael Keaton was just, um, he was menacing to me. Yeah, he could just stand there and be intimidating. And I just remember just, I dressed up like him all the time as a kid. My, I have a specific memory of going to Pizza Hut wearing a Michael Keaton Batman costume. Nice. And my, my mom said that I wore it everywhere. I wore it to the mall, like everything. The last time I wore it was at Pizza Hut because this guy said, uh-oh, look out, there's Batman. And I think as a kid, it was like this wave of fear went through me like, oh, 
people can see me. So I, <laughs> I stopped wearing it after that. But I used to, you know, I'd wear it around the house and everything too, but I was just, I was enamored with him and there was just something about him. I really liked, I liked spooky stuff when I was a kid and I liked the idea of this guy that he's a good guy, but he dresses up like this uh, monster. And at the beginning of the movie and in my kid brain, I wasn't quite getting the message that they were saying he was an urban legend and mm-hmm. that he couldn't die and all this stuff. I thought they were speaking literally when they said like he's, you know, drop, you know, straight down. There wasn't any blood that he like drank that guy's blood. I mm-hmm. and then like them shooting him and him getting back up and everything. I was like, oh, like Batman's like supernatural. There was something about it that I kind of bought into that as a kid, even though they were the characters when they're talking about in the film, they're kind of talking about the urban legend of Batman thus far but yeah he is just um it's perfect i you know looking back i guess i could see why people were concerned about his casting because he isn't Mm -hmm. like a six foot four muscular built guy and i understand tim burton's reasoning behind casting him you know to as someone that felt like they needed to put on the costume to fight crime Mm -hmm. but to me that was just like that was the that was the Batman to me. That was Bruce Wayne. So I just kind of took it as that's that's who he always is. I never really thought about his physical build or stature as a kid. Yeah. And and as an adult looking at that now, there are some times when I'm just like, mm, maybe not. <laughs> you know. But that doesn't <laughs> take away from anything. Uh it doesn't take anything away from from the film for me. Um because of a lot of the things that you mentioned that you the way that you know it you know the look of it the tone the the sound and the music all of those things uh for this film you know all of those things when added together just create this uh an almost perfect movie uh in my opinion and and i say almost because this time when i watched it um I, I, don't, I was going to say that I've become more of an asshole, which might be true, but I don't <laughs> think that that necessarily has anything to do with my critical eye. <laughs> um, but uh, so there are there were some things that I found uh, in this movie that um, watching it this time for for the purpose of the show, I was just like, wait, what the fuck? Um, <laughs> that, just, that didn't make any sense. And that was a bad call. Tim, uh, don't do that. Um but again, it didn't like uh, it didn't jerk me out of the movie, and it didn't make me look at it uh, with a more uh, discriminating eye. I was like, you know what, fuck it, this this movie's great. Real quick, I, I, I just want to talk about Tim Burton. Obviously, you are a big Tim Burton fan, and I myself am, am a big fan of of a lot of his work from this this period. Oh, yeah. um, the the screenplay, however. That's uh, that was something that I wanted to talk about very quickly, just because I found some interest in in the two guys that worked on the screenplay, and that was uh, Sam Ham and mm-hmm. Warren Skarin. Um Ham, of course, went on to do some interesting things. I thought in that he developed Mantis. I don't know if you remember or not developed, but uh, wrote the the story or a screenplay for Mantis. Um, the uh, that superhero show that came out in the mid nineties with the cat who wore that uh, exoskeleton. I think that he was in a wheelchair 
uh, and his alter ego, but the superhero had an exoskeleton that uh, that enabled him to uh, to move freely. Which now that I think about it, it seems like maybe you, you should just wear that um. <laughs> <laughs> all the time. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I don't know. A- anyway, moving on. Uh, he also did the screenplay uh, for Batman Returns, which I think is another fantastic movie. But most interestingly to me, he developed the character of Henry Ducard when he began writing for Batman. Um, for DC, yeah. Yeah, which I thought was cool because, you know, we later saw kind of Henry Ducard in Batman Begins, mm-hmm. which I had to kind of reverse i guess learn about that character from batman begins because i i i've always been a fan of batman but my knowledge of the comics strangely stops after uh-huh. uh frank miller's run from the 80s mm-hmm. and and then my knowledge picks back up in 1992 with the animated series uh so i was i was never really into reading batman any of the continuous publications um you know later in life i liked a lot of the one-shot stories uh like uh the stuff that uh jeff Loeb did with tim sale oh yeah yeah i love all those i'm a big tim sale fan yeah yeah and those two things the 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 writing and the art just worked together so well uh for the long halloween and uh what else was it the dark victory yeah, and there's a Haunted Night is a yes. good one as well. Yes, I, I own all three of those, and they are some of my very favorite comics of of all time. And mm-hmm. I was super stoked when the, the rumor began to swirl that Christopher Nolan was developing a uh, a sequel to Batman Begins that was using um, the Long Halloween as a, a kind of template. Which, I mean, it's kind of sorta, but uh, very very it, broadly. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I um. I will say that I didn't know who Henry Descartes was when I saw Batman Begins, but the DVD set that I bought with it came with a little comic book, and it had all of these... It was small. It was the size of the DVD itself, like the DVD case, Mm -hmm. but it had all the collected issues of characters that were used in the film. So it had, like... I believe that story is called The Man Who Falls or something like that, and it is actually... It talks about Bruce's training... And you do see that Henry Ducard character there. They also had a story collected of like Ra's al Ghul's introduction and Scarecrow and and stuff like that. So it was interesting that that was included in there. So I got the idea that, oh, that that was a character that was in the comics. But Mm -hmm. they really just used the name and a little bit of that identity to create like a an alter ego for Ra's al Ghul to kind of, you know, add that twist on at the end. So. Yeah, I thought that was very interesting. And your um, experience is close to mine. Most of what I knew of Batman for a long time was the films from the 90s, mm-hmm. the Adam West series, and the Bat- uh, Batman the Animated Series. So that's where I based all my ideas off of. And especially Batman the Animated Series, that like I think that gave me the most groundwork for a lot of the characters. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, the storylines and the origins are pretty close to the comic material. But I think it was maybe early 2000s I started to get more into comics because I was at the bookstore and I saw uh, the Batman Visual Dictionary. Mm -hmm. And I remember flipping, I flipped through it and... I was reading the page with a Joker on it, 
and it was talking about the Red Hood. And I was like, what the hell is that? I've never heard of that before. Because, you know, in the cartoon and the comics, when they talk about the Joker's origin, they just kind of take out the Red Hood portion. It's just a man that falls into the chemicals. There's no uh, yeah. no mask or helmet on him or anything. So I was like, oh, there's like a whole other identity there. And I thought that was so interesting. And so everything that I read in the Batman Visual Dictionary, it had illustrations that went along with it. They were taken from the comics. So I then wanted to, like, find out more about the comics and the storylines that these pictures came from and they did have one comic book store where I lived at. Uh, it's gone now. It moved locations twice, but it was this little dingy hole in the wall. The guy smoked all the time. So it just smelled like cigarette smoke in there. <laughs> but I used to go in the back room in these boxes and just dig through the Batman comics. And I would find like all those, these different issues there there were one-shot issues as well, and I, I like those a lot, too. So I got a lot of stuff from there, and whenever my parents would go to the bookstore, I just would go straight to the graphic novel section, and I would just look at the Batman books. And, of course, like I, I pretty much started with just wanting to read like Joker stuff. Uh, Joker and Two-Face, they were like my Naturally. favorites. And then I like kind of expanded out and wanted to read these other storylines. Uh, I am a... I'm a pretty big art snob when it comes to comic book artwork. So if the artwork doesn't look good to me or I don't find it uh, aesthetically pleasing, then I don't, I can't get into the story, so I won't read it. Yeah, so my I flip wife through is it. the same way. Don't feel bad. <laughs> I, so I, I get it. Yeah. So I just, I would flip through it and see if I liked it or not. And if I liked the pictures and yep, I remember reading long Halloween and uh, I did have the dark Knight returns pretty early on. And I had a, uh, all the movie tie-in comics. So like the Batman 89 up to Batman and Robin, I had mm -hmm. those like comic adaptations. So I was really into that because, you know, it was the movie versions that I knew. So yeah, I just slowly amassed different stories. And really um, when I was at the comic book shop, I just would look and he would usually tell me like what were big Batman stories. And that's what I would look for the most. So I got a lot of experience just from that, and it's it's pretty much snowballed from there. I've got a huge collection of comics and graphic novels, so much to the point now that I will only buy something if I really want it because I pretty much have all the like books that I want. And mm -hmm. unless something new comes out that I'm interested in, which every now and then there is, uh, but yeah, I'm kind of like set with the things that I really like of that that time period. Yeah, and it's and you hope to Christ that you don't move anytime soon. Oh yes, <laughs> that's the thing about that is that it is it becomes quite difficult to manage. Um, but uh, the uh, yeah, so uh, the other guy was, was Warren Scarin that we mentioned alongside uh, Sam Ham, mm -hmm. and I I wasn't particularly interested by anything that this guy did apart from being the writer of uh, Beetlejuice, which kind of makes that Tim Burton connection. And then yeah. Beverly Hills Cop 2, which really drives home an <laughs> 80s uh, connection for me. So I'm always interested in that sort of thing and, and you know, who's written what and who co-wrote what with whom. And then, you know, what's the common? Is there like a, a director in common, uh, which I which I think is really fun. So in this particular case, of course, uh, Tim Burton is the the common thread. 
um, there. But uh, I love what you said about the the comic book shop too. By the way, um, because my, the the first comic book shop that I fell in love with was very similar to that, and um, I remember the guy's name was Roland Castle, which I thought was just the, <laughs> the coolest fucking name ever. Uh, the the name of the place was Comics Castle, mm-hmm. and uh, but I anyway yeah I could just talk forever about the experiences uh, with your first comic shop right, um, and and then of course to to mention Batman the animated series, uh, which came in in ninety two it was kind of like the natural sequel in a way to it was like the spiritual sequel to uh, the nineteen eighty nine Batman oh um, yeah. Sort of like in the way that Danny Elfman kind of uh, lent pieces of the uh, of the 1989 film to uh, his original music for the animated series, which uh, really defined a lot of it for me. Um, but I thought those things were very interesting, and of course, Danny Elfman uh, working on this 89 picture with Tim Burton. Um, Right as, as right as this movie opens, you know that that's you know that you know that's the deal. You know it's mm-hmm. Danny Elfman and and uh, it for me for my part it really sets the tone of of this movie and the way that the way that this film opens with the camera sort of tracing um, the symbol of uh, or Batman's insignia or logo is really cool because you get this. The, this idea that you are um, you're in the midst of some kind of like mysterious architecture, you know, some object of power. And so as you're riding through this thing, you're 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 imagining what could this possibly be? And uh, and then, of course, when we uh, when we pan out, we've got um, the bat symbol, which I think is really cool because uh, it, it's something that you you just don't see uh with a lot of movies these days where um like the feel and the tone of the picture are established first do you know what i mean oh yeah that it absolutely sets the mood and um it's funny that we talked about that logo because i there's a great website i think it's batman 89 or batman 1989.com but this uh british guy is just obsessed with the movie and he has just it's a blog tons and tons of pages of stuff that he's written but he had multiple times visited the set before Mm -hmm. it was torn down and he's had other people that have visited the set send in pictures but that logo is um i'm trying to tell i'm trying to remember from the photo but it's much smaller than you would imagine that physical logo that they filmed Mm -hmm. uh to like you know go into the little grooves and everything I would say it is probably no bigger than most like TV screens right now, like a, a medium sized TV screen. Oh, wow. It was very, it was much smaller than I pictured. And someone had just leaned it up against one of the walls in uh, the, in Gotham city that they had built. And mm-hmm. um, I can't remember Pinewood studios in London. So yeah, it's just leaning up against the wall. There it looks spray painted black. Almost. It's just uh it's so funny to see it removed from that opening scene as this kind of small thing. Um, yeah. yeah, it is. It's such a great opening. It's just it's it takes something that, uh, you know, you're setting the mood, you're setting the atmosphere and you really don't know what you're looking at. It's very abstract. And then you pull out and that's that's your logo. You don't I think 
if I'm not mistaken, there's not even any words. Does it actually say Batman at the beginning? I think it does. Uh, okay. And, and you're, you're, I think it says that before you uh, take your journey through the logo. I think don't quote me on that though. I think I do remember seeing that. Cause I, when I watched it last night, I remember kind of thinking to myself, Oh, they showed Batman before the finished logo. It didn't wait. You saw Batman first, but I could be totally making that up right now. I'm, I'm not 100%. I, uh, I, I do love that though. That's something that I miss, uh, in, in films, but specifically superhero films, frankly. Um, so let's let's talk about the tone of this picture because I think that the tone is uh, easily the most definable or even memorable aspect of this movie. Um, it's Tim Burton, and I think that a lot of people associate darkness with with Tim Burton, especially some of his earlier work. But this particular movie has a darkness that uh that only gotham has the gotham created in this in this film really is its own character uh it, it uh the way that the story lives inside of gotham city is is very interesting to me it, it's a it's a dark and sort of um you know it's got this gothic aesthetic to it this sort of this classical gothic veneer you know kind of that, that co- coats this this older, more old-fashioned city that, in my mind, it's I don't really associate it with Tim Burton so much as I just associate it with Gotham City. Yeah, it's very timeless because you have like elements of the movie that they don't seem like they're from any particular time period, or you might have men that are dressed like they're in the 40s, but mm-hmm. then you have like these television sets that are in color and some like some you know 80s looking tech. You know, Batman's got like, I think he's got Nikes on. It was a specific kind of shoe that they made just for him and that bat boot. Mm-hmm. But yeah, then it's it's like mixtures of different time periods throughout. And just the architecture, it's, um, it's very grimy. And I remember uh, watching the special features about the movie and them saying that they just wanted it to look like no, there were no zoning codes in New York City. And things mm-hmm. were just built on top of each other uh, with no regard to like really thinking about anything being too aesthetically pleasing. So you have these like steel girders just holding everything up and everything's dirty. There's trash everywhere. And you have like mixtures of different types of architecture. Some of it's very art deco looking. And I think they really kind of went even more into the, the direction of art deco with Batman Returns. So you have to kind of think of this movie as being it's Tim Burton, but it's still like Tim Burton reined in a little bit Mm -hmm. by, you know, the studio. When I think of Batman returns, I think of like, all right, Batman was the biggest success of its time. Tim Burton just gets to cut loose. So it is, Mm -hmm. it it feels very Tim Burton-y, but Batman to me, it's, it's Tim Burton, but it feels like there is a kind of a, a culmination of a lot of different things going into it as far as that that tone that comes along with it but yeah it is a it's certainly dark it never looks sunshiny there's no there's no bright sunny day it's overcast when it's daylight i'm sure that's Mm -hmm. because it was in uh in the uk but yeah there's something about that that it, it is just a 
it's like a somber place, but there's a lot of like just kind of nasty, mean-spirited energy to it. Yeah, it's hard to imagine people being happy in Gotham City. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like the joke, or uh, I guess he's just Jack Napier at that point saying like, decent people shouldn't live here. They'd be happier someplace else. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, he's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and and that's the thing, too. Uh, you mentioned this movie being a success. I, I was looking at this, and I, I, I thought that this was pretty interesting. Um, in 1989, the budget for this movie was $35 million, which, it, when you say that out loud now, you're like, what? Like, how is that even possible? Mm-hmm. Um, so after inflation, or adjusting for today's value of the dollar, um, that's a little bit closer to $74 million, which... Even then, seems seems a little low. Uh, but what was interesting to me was that the box office take for this movie was four hundred, excuse me, four hundred and eleven point six million dollars. Which, again, after adjusted for inflation, is uh, about eight hundred and sixty-eight point three million. Um, so that part right there to me is what's amazing. Um, the numbers do sound low, but when you look at uh, what this film cost to make versus how much money it brought in, um, I'm I'm impressed, and yeah. and that was uh, that was in 1989. Yeah, it's one of the biggest. I mean, it broke those records at the time. It was one of the biggest movies of all time. I think I I think just people today take it for granted, and especially younger people that haven't seen it or maybe older people that could be our age or older that just forgot but that is a that was like a a staple movie uh Mm -hmm. in film history i mean you can't deny the effect on pop culture that it had so yeah that's it's incredible how how much of an impact it had at the time absolutely uh i mean again it i mean it defined a very large portion of uh of my childhood and subsequently uh my life as an adult so I mean, there there is that. Uh, now, the the plot of this film, and uh, I've always been kind of loose <laughs> with uh, with the term <laughs> plot, which is probably not very good for someone that considers themselves to be a writer. But it's it's fairly straightforward, honestly. It's established fairly early on in the film, kind of what is going on in Gotham mm-hmm. City. Uh, Gotham is preparing for its bicentennial. Uh, the mayor wants this huge celebration. So basically, like all lying sack of shit politicians, he's uh, he's promised that he's going to clean up the streets. And he's not worried about the back end at all. <laughs> not worried about the back end. He, he basically throws uh, Harvey Dent out there. Um, and he's like, this guy's going to take care of it. And meanwhile, he's just like, what the fuck? Uh, Harvey Dent, of course, is is played by Billy D. Williams, which to this kid was awesome. <laughs> yeah, because that was Lando fucking Calrissian up there, and in my head, that was Two Face. Like that's that's where this was going, um, mm-hmm. you know, being Harvey Dent. But uh, so yeah, he's being tasked to clean up the streets for these this this festival and they're, they're also you know while they're making these promises they're also downplaying the uh the rumor of a bat-shaped vigilante and um and then of course there is the uh it the, the there's the rise of of uh you know a homicidal 
criminal genius that calls himself the Joker. And that's pretty much it. It's it's very straightforward, I think. Now, as far as that, as far as the plot is concerned, um, do you think that this film succeeds? Because I know that uh, a lot of people, uh, <coughs> Kevin Smith, didn't really care for uh the story and and the characters in in this Batman film. What 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 is what is your take on that? How do you feel? Well, he's wrong, uh, <laughs> and he he. I've listened to him a lot too, and I know that he still loves this movie. And that's like it was so big to him at the time. Yeah. So I will say that I just take it as it is now because I've seen it so many times. It just it just is. I do mm-hmm. think that the Joker is a uh, I wouldn't quite say it's a, he's a protagonist but I will say that I think that this is uh more the Joker's story than it is Batman because in the film it's Joker's origin story uh Batman's already established but mm-hmm. he doesn't uh Batman doesn't really have much of an art you could say that his uh you know he's avenged his parents by the end of it when they when you've made Jack Napier like his parents killer and he's right. dead now. And it it does seem to have a more heroic ending to it because it seems like, you know, okay, Gotham City has accepted him and they got the bat signal. He's met Vicky. So I, I guess you could say that his story arc has gone from being uh, a loner to now like he is becoming more of the hero that, you know, we all know him to be. Mm-hmm. But it really is kind of the movie is the rise of the Joker. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so you and I completely understand that because they, I know they wanted to do something similar to the Christopher Reeve Superman movie by having a big uh, Hollywood name. So mm-hmm. for them, they had uh, Marlon Brando, you know, as his father, and it's like, you know, we kind of have Jack Nicholson, or uh, you know, they they cast Michael Keaton, who was not a popular choice at the time. So I think they really wanted a big name for the Joker, uh, and that was Jack Nicholson. So he's like. He is pulling in, like, pulling audiences into the seats and, you know, saying that this is just not like a silly movie. It's not like Adam West. If Jack Nicholson is doing the movie, then it must be, like, something important. So I think that, you know, his involvement, I won't say, like, breaks the movie, but I can't imagine it being anybody else playing him. No, not at all. It is interesting to me how films are developed in that way when you're watching a movie especially like batman you get so lost in the story and you get so lost in the characters that you forget a lot of times what you're watching is a product that is the development of at least in the early stages or or during its inception of uh you know guys in uh suits around a table Uh, Well, in in the case of Tim Burton, uh, a shroud and sunglasses, perhaps, Mm -hmm. that are all hashing out these details and the legal aspects of things and and uh, contracts and which name is going to sell. And and as you said, put asses in seats. Mm -hmm. So it's always very fascinating to me to take a step back and see that part of filmmaking, uh, because it is an unfortunate aspect that I don't want to say it's an unfortunate aspect, but it's an aspect that is unfortunately very much a part of it. So that's, uh, that's always interesting to me, but, uh, but you're right. It is, it is very much a Joker movie. I mean, I've, I've heard that said, I know that that's what Kevin Smith said. Uh, that does not do anything for me though, to, uh, to diminish 
the the value of this movie in any way. Oh yeah. I mean, obviously you can't call it uh, Joker 1989, but uh, I mean, it was very clearly influenced by the Killing Joke, um, which you know was a, a very Joker centric story. Um, not nearly as you know demented or brutal as the Killing Joke, but I think that you know the the idea um, is is still similar, especially with the uh, the Red Hood aspect of you know the gangs and yeah and uh, Jack Napier. D- very different, uh, very different character development, and uh, the basis for for the Joker was is different, but the uh, the overall bones of of the Killing Joke are, are definitely present. So yeah, that it, it is interesting to me that you do have more of a uh, Joker origin as opposed to Batman because he. As you say, he doesn't have much of an arc uh, apart from from vengeance, which uh, to me, I was wondering, you know, what kind of movie, what kind of movie did you think this was? Because I was trying to place it last night and I and I thought to myself, this is not it's not a superhero movie. It's a it's really a revenge movie, you know, coupled with the the origin story of of the Joker. And that didn't again, that didn't diminish anything for me uh mostly because we have such a a rich we have such a rich sort of tapestry to to appreciate in terms of 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 the wholeness of of batman's story or saga in different uh media and and different films at this point so with that with that said i uh i I want to talk about the characters because i I think this is the best aspect of of this movie uh the characters we we kind of already touched on on Michael Keaton and Batman, especially in the way that I found him to be menacing. But I'm curious as to your take on on Michael Keaton and and what he brought to the role. Oh yeah, I mean, I I think I share those same feelings. I do think that he just, you know, as a kid, I just accepted it as it was. I never thought of Bruce Wayne as being like a playboy or uh, like kind of out there in the public eye. It seemed like a guy that he lived in a mansion. He was at that party at the beginning, and you could see he mm-hmm. was. Uh, you know, pretending to be somebody that he wasn't. But then I just really like this guy who's just like, just watching everything all the time. He's got his computer screens. He's wanting to, he's, he's obsessed with like that identity of trying to stop crime from happening because initially, no, he is not looking to avenge his parents' murder by simply, ending the life of the man who shot them because he didn't realize that Jet Napier was that man until later in the film. He Mm -hmm. is just trying to, you know, stop crime in Gotham City uh, and do that to avenge his parents' murder. So I just like that he's obsessive and he's kind of in his element when he is alone and just uh, kind of waiting for his opportunity to go out and be um, be himself and be Batman and do what he's mm-hmm. going to do. But I, I do like a lot of his exchanges with Alfred in this movie. Uh, there's a lot of warmth there. I think the Michael Goff's Alfred is just fantastic. Um, and you can see, especially in this movie, how the relationship is and him being like a, a surrogate parent to him. And mm-hmm. I do like his, you know, his interactions with Vicky. You can see he definitely has his guard up for a lot of it. But, yeah, I really like that he is just, um, it's like you you see him 
at his most genuine when, he, when he's alone and you can do see how obsessive he is over what he has chosen, like his, uh, his path to be in this life. But yeah, he's, I think he's fantastic. I knew that as a kid, I didn't, I could not believe that he was the same man that played Beetlejuice. Oh yeah. <laughs> it just seemed like it was impossible. I was like, there's no way that this guy is playing this guy over here. That's like yeah. goofy and off the walls and doing a voice. I didn't know, you know, as a kid, I guess I just did not have an understanding of the range that a person could have as far as acting and what makeup can do for you. But it was, uh, yeah, he just always was my Batman to me. And I, I just like that. I like that he was just in the Batcave and just like watching and waiting for something to happen. And then when he's got the suit on, he's just, he's like another creature. He doesn't seem human. Yeah. So there was just something about that. Yeah, I, I really appreciated how relatable he was to uh, the Bruce Wayne uh, that we see in uh, Nolan's movies, for example, is not relatable to me at all because he's so, so advanced. Yeah. He's like a machine, which I guess in some ways is kind of cool because I really like the idea of Batman being the character and Bruce Wayne being the mask. Mm -hmm. Um which I guess you don't really get in the 89 Batman, but I still prefer that because I, I can, I feel like I can relate to Michael Keaton's Bruce Wayne a lot more, you know? So, I mean, for a main character, that's kind of important. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, because later on, of course, I didn't relate to Batman. Um, I always related to the villains. I feel the exact same way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to say too much because I don't know what, uh, would fall into the realm of self-incrimination. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I definitely felt a very strong affinity uh, for Joker, more so later in life and later portrayals of Joker. Mm -hmm. But this this case, this Joker, um, wow. I, I don't really know what else to say about it because, again, I, I feel like a conversation about the Joker is almost the subject that it requires its own episode or its own podcast. <laughs> um, but in this particular instance, if you just want a sociopathic clown, uh, Jack Nicholson gives it to you in spades. And <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, I, I want to talk about uh, Batman, Bruce Wayne, Michael Keaton, but there's really just not anything that you can say that remotely compares to what Jack Nicholson did with this character. Um, the, even the, the facial prosthesis is not terribly uh, advanced or um, it's not a lot of makeup. Right. Uh, I would say that it's uh, modest in that regard, but it works so well and is completely unnerving uh, with the way that he, he carries it and, or drives that, um, that character now jack nicholson uh, and i believe that he was referring to this film uh when he said this and and i'll be paraphrasing of course but it's it's something that i've always loved and and it has informed a lot of the things that uh that i've done uh in my life creatively and and that is you know he was giving somebody uh advice on performing or or playing a character and he said that uh, sometimes you have to let the costume do the acting for you, which I just totally get and I mm -hmm. embrace 
one hundred percent. But uh, it, I could just go on forever about that. I, I, I unless I'm mistaken, I, this is your favorite uh, portrayal of the Joker. Is that is that correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he's. I mean, it's just like the Batman. It's my first Joker that I remember, and to me, he's still been the most comic accurate joker i I do think that a lot about caesar romero as well Mm -hmm. but yeah he's just uh i like that he has just uh toys like uh his you know little pranks and like joker paraphernalia that actually is weaponry that's something that i really loved as a kid i love that that's Mm -hmm. the way he is in the comics and i just feel like they're they're afraid to do that in movies now they don't want him to be too his weapons to be too silly i'm like that's kind of the point that he has this like right. just really really dark sense of humor and he thinks that that's funny to perverse something that is a uh, you know that's just supposed to be like for comedy so yeah i love that he um i just loved him as a kid i never ever remember being afraid of him i no. just always really i liked him i think it's his colors i think it's just the way he looks I was afraid of clowns as a kid, but I wasn't afraid of the Joker. And I think it's because he didn't have a red nose. So I didn't I didn't ever feel like he was, um, I guess, frightening in a way. And I uh, I still like that makeup a lot. I like the idea of his mouth being like frozen mm-hmm. in that smile. And that's such a, a unique idea. Whereas like, you know, most people might just say like, well, he has other expressions in the comics. So. Really, it's not frozen that way, but it's just, uh, it really is just, you know, horrific looking. If you just kind of step back from it and look at it out of context, it is just bizarre. Um, And I think that's why I like him so much, that uh, Burton's villains especially is just, they're so bizarre. And Mm -hmm. he is completely comfortable and accepting of himself. As this individual, he doesn't feel bad about what he does, and he just seems like he's having a really great time with it. And I think that's just something I always enjoyed as a kid. He just, you know, I'm sure that other villains, there are places for them to be emotionally complex and have some gray area. But one of the reasons I always like the Joker is because he, there is no gray area. He mm-hmm. is bad. He knows he's he's bad <laughs> and he enjoys it. And I think there's something freeing in that and being able to watch a character that's just a an absolute id. There's no mm-hmm. ego and there's no super ego. He's just he is whatever he's all of his inhibitions have been turned loose. Um, there's a book, uh, Alex Ross uh, Mythology. It's a collection of a lot of his early work and he writes a little bit about the Joker in it. Mm-hmm. And he says that he really liked uh, Burton's take on the Joker because he liked the fact that unlike the red hood, he made the Joker a nasty individual before he fell into the chemicals and mm-hmm. the transformation into the Joker really just opened him up on a creative level. And he's like, I don't have to hold back anything anymore. I can be yeah. just as like, terrible as I want to be. And I guess he's just inspired by his own appearance. So yeah, there is a, there's something to be said about it. It's a, his performance as a Joker is just to me, it's not just iconic, but it's like, you you can't tell me that there, 
that every actor that has come after him has not thought about him. Oh and no! Thought about how how they could how they don't want to do something like he did. They want they need to make themselves different because I still think and probably not for a lot of younger people, but in the public consciousness, that is still the Joker. And you know, mm-hmm. no matter what comes afterward, it's just like Michael Keaton's Batman. That movie has influenced every movie that's come after it absolutely so it's just it's very telling that it's a very special um it's a special performance to see on screen and i've only grown to appreciate it more the older that i get oh yeah and 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 the thing too is that there were so many so many minor things that went on to to be uh part of what we largely take for granted um in, in Batman films and portrayals. Um, I mean, like the, the, the vocal register of, of Wayne and, and the bat, um, that was Michael Keaton's idea. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he did that. And I, I traditionally associate it with Kevin Conroy, um, because there are so many scenes where, uh, and, and this was just another one of the reasons that, uh, the animated series was brilliant is that when he's alone, he speaks as Batman, which mm-hmm. I think is just fucking amazing. But, uh, but no, Michael Keaton, you know, he, he kind of got the ball rolling on that. And, the, and of course there's not a long span of time between 89 and, and 92, uh, even less if you consider, uh, Batman returns in relation to, to the animated series, even the the grin of the Joker, we we think of Heath Ledger really separating himself from uh, Jack Nicholson in his performance as uh, as Joker. But even yeah. that character has a deformity, um, or or rather an injury that you know renders his face, you know, in in that sort of uh, what do they call that? It's called it. A- Glasgow grin and a Chelsea smile. That's what I've heard it called, or Chelsea smile. Yeah, and those two things are are you know it does harken back to you know um, the nineteen eighty nine portrayal. Which, it, it, to be fair though, does um, both of those things go back to the silent picture, the man who laughs, mm-hmm. the character of Gwen Plain, who had that same injury. So, to be fair. Both of those portrayals of the Joker are accurate in their homage to this character. So that that's a whole other discussion, of course. But um, so that's that is a cool thing. So it's it's not necessarily that Ledger's Joker was mirroring uh, Nicholson's Joker so much as they were both just sort of accurate um, to to the main influence of of the character of the Joker. Mm-hmm. One of the things about him, and it's so funny that we're just like totally talking all about the Joker now, um, <laughs> which to be fair, Michael Keaton's Batman doesn't have all of that nuance. You don't see these things in the film. And, and I, so I understand that that's why somebody would say it's a Joker movie uh, because the Joker is so incredibly nuanced. Um, you had mentioned that he was the clown and that he didn't, you know, he had like all the gadgets and, and didn't take things seriously. Uh, that was kind of a, a later incarnation or characteristic of the Joker when, uh, you know, especially when, when the comics code started mm-hmm. getting a little bit more con- constricting and, um, you know, that it had to be a little bit more kid friendly and a little bit tamer because the original Joker, I think, when when did he first debut? Was it nineteen forty nine? 
Oh no, it's uh, nineteen um, nineteen forty on the dot because that's Batman oh, number right. one. Okay, gotcha. Uh, he's a he is a murderer. Um, I I have that in a like a old as balls mm-hmm. paperback book <laughs> that has a uh, like the the edges of the pages are red. I wish I remembered <laughs> what the publication was, but it's a really really old book, and I remember reading that and enjoying it and finding the Joker to be uh, a lot more frightening than I thought that he would be in the 40s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's what's just a straight-up murderer. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and what's cool, though, is that Nicholson's Joker is kind of like an amalgamation of that mm-hmm. uh, that cold murderer with the clown. Um, so that, that, to me, is pretty cool, uh, the way that that developed. Now, we when we first started talking about this, I said there were a couple of things that took me out of it. And again, it's minor, especially when you're like, dude, it's a comic book movie. Uh, but where the fuck did Jack Napier get all of these like luxurious purples and and custom suits and the like the joy buzzer just a couple of days after he became <laughs> the Joker? You know what I mean? So, like, <laughs> hmm. Now I do um, know that he did wear purple. Yeah, because he is true. wearing a purple suit whenever he goes to the chemical factory. That is true. So I guess he could have had a couple in stock, but I mean, if he's taken over Grissom's, uh, you know, mob, basically, mm-hmm. I guess he's got enough money to go down to the, I don't know, the clothing store and get him to do some custom purple outfits for him and purple spats. I mean, he's like, he's got all of Grissom's money now. He's got all of his That's power true. and. I That's guess he true. did that, but uh, yeah, the the toys. I do wonder about that. I I know they show his um, what's called like his little layer in the Axis Chemicals mm-hmm. factory basement where he's got his he's hung up the curtains there and he's got it kind of done up and looking a little bit nicer. But you can still see all the pipes and all the yeah. shit leaking everywhere. And uh, he definitely. I remember him having this thing on the table that was like an open file folder, and it mm-hmm. looked like it was the basis for the Smilex chemical agent. Mm-hmm. And it was showing these pits, pictures of people dead with smiles on their faces, but it looked like a government folder, like he had gotten it from somewhere. And I remember him saying, uh, or Michael Keaton saying that in his file for Jet Napier, he was uh, very apt in chemistry. Art so I and guess chemistry. Yeah, art and chemistry. So he's very smart. So I kind of like to think that he just Maybe he made those little jokes. Yeah. Things. Oh, no, I don't like doubt. I don't doubt that at all. It just <laughs> seems like it was all very quick. But I also kind of imagine him not sleeping at all and, yeah. <laughs> and looking like a maniac uh, to develop some of these things. Uh, again, it's it's one of those really stupid things to get caught up on, especially if you're watching, you know, like two adult men um, dressed in costumes, <laughs> like pretending to be uh, crime fighters and supervillains. It's a it's a really stupid detail, but um, but it is one of those things that jumps out at me a little bit more frequently. Yeah, these I never days. thought about it. But yeah, so but again, it's just like it, it, dude. It's a comic book. Who cares? Like if you were reading the comic, would you? stop to ask yourself that question you know um no it wouldn't occur to you in a million years so it really doesn't matter at all Uh, the joker unfortunately or maybe not unfortunately because i think it's very important it's very fortunate that we got such a rich character but 
he definitely overshadows the bat, which is kind of ironic. I was going to ask you, you mentioned the the pictures on the table. Do you remember uh, in a scene after Bob the Goon comes back and he has the pictures of uh, of mm-hmm. Knox, Knox and Vicky? And Vicky yeah. He's, he's making this collage. Were you ever able to figure out what he was collaging? Because those photos also looked like corpses. You know, I... I can't remember now. I remember the pictures on the desk that you see before it pans over to him, but I kind of forgot about that. I I just assume he's cutting out pictures and everything. I kind of forgot that he was making a collage. No, I can look for that next time. Yeah, that's that nuance that I'm talking about where like he is a fully realized character with some really fucked up shit going on. Um, <laughs> but much to the point that when he you know coerces Vicky into meeting him at the museum, I mean, he lays out his whole philosophy on life to her, which I didn't understand when I was a child uh, that he's taken this trauma that he experienced and is basically turning it into a vehicle uh, for his self-expression, that he is a living work of art and he intends to sort of manifest that art outwardly, you know, through death and violence. Yes. You know, he, so he actually had an ethos in this film as opposed to, you know, later incarnations of the Joker where he's just, you know, quote unquote chaos. Uh, it seems that his ethos is, uh, you know, um, art for art's sake, but through the the vehicle of of uh, of mayhem, murder, and and destruction. So that to me is very interesting, and I'm assuming that that is the Tim Burton of it all coming through to the surface. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think he's very similar to the Dark Knight Returns Joker, which I didn't get for a lot of. For a long time, but I realized, like, you know, that that version of the Joker is very deadpan and different from Nicholson's in that way. But he does have this kind of affinity for basically he wants everyone to look like him. He want he does want to kill people, so he prefers them dead, but he likes them to for everybody to have a smile on their face and everybody everybody to be the same. So all smiles, and it's just like there's this definite interest in, uh, you know, kind of having an artistic expression, you know, mm-hmm. forced onto others. And I do like that. I, I especially like it when he says it to um, Vicky about Alicia um, and how she was a sketch. Like he oh, was yeah. just, you know, testing shit out on her to see if it would have the same effect on her that it did on him. And yeah, to me that... That is such a brief moment, but very disturbing if you take it out of the context of this comic book cartoony movie. That is scary Mm -hmm. because, you know, hell, this is something he did to somebody he likes. Right. Uh, You know, he likes Vicky. So what's going to stop him from, you know, doing something like that to her? Uh, Yeah. I mean, he almost did. (laughs) <laughs> that's right yeah he tries to spray her. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah it's uh i i really love that and and again when i was younger i i didn't um i didn't get it especially when when he you know as you say kind of introduced uh alicia to to vicky and she gasped she's like oh i know i'm no picasso but do you like it <laughs> 
it's just it's so uh i i think it was scott snyder i want to say scott snyder that said uh that the thing about the joker uh, and him being written well is that you will find yourself laughing at times that you absolutely should not laugh yeah um and i and i think that that really uh hit the nail on the head with that character so again yeah it's this definitely is a a joker movie um <laughs> but real quick before we move on um, and start wrapping things up, I want to talk about, or rather, I want to pay homage to, or at least give some honor to Bob the Goon, um, <laughs> played by Tracy Walker, I believe his name. Is it is it yep. Waller or Walker? I believe um, it's Walters, isn't it? Tracy Walters? For I am not sure, and I feel real bad that I'm, <laughs> that I'm getting his name wrong because I can only think of him in two films, uh, and that's this one. And Billy Madison, where he was the uh, the custodian that was um, spying on Billy. <laughs> it's it's Tracy uh, Walter. I just looked it up. Okay, so close. Tracy Walter. Gotcha. All right. Well, sorry, Tracy, um, but I do want to <laughs> sing your praises because I had a kitten when I was young uh, that uh, that that we named Bob, and uh, and that was in your honor. Was he or was he not just the perfect henchman? I mean, he's great. The fact that he got his own action figure is very telling. And I don't know. I, I actually have always wanted to draw like a little sketch card of him. I, I have some pictures saved. It never come like oh. never comes up for a commission. But it's like I just took this as this character that he must exist in the comics. That's what I thought as a kid. It's like, you know, he's the Joker's right hand mm -hmm. man. But it's just so awesome that is it's just Bob the Goon and he just will do whatever the Joker says, even to the point of his own self-destruction. Yeah, yeah. He had no idea that that was coming, and it kind of echoes your point about, uh, you know, the Joker may like you, but he, he will still kill you. Yeah. Uh, he may regret it immediately thereafter, but, it, it, you know, it will happen. Uh, and, and he is Bob the Goon, by the way. Every other henchman is only credited as goon this dude is yep. bob the goon so he is not fucking around <laughs> um so y'all just you know pay that some mind if you would and then just give some respect and raise your glasses if you have them to uh <laughs> to bob the goon and the greatness that he brought to the 1989 batman movie um, one other shout out that i want to give is to william hootkins who played eckhart in uh yeah in this um because that was of course jack porkins mm -hmm. the unfortunately named uh character in um in the first star wars movie he was an x-wing pilot let me ask you um so eckhart is he's a dirty cop which i didn't get when i was a kid either yeah and he and uh he and jack uh pre-joker jack napier they clearly do not care for one another uh which their exchanges i think are just awesome um mm -hmm. but when he says uh when they have this little conversation when he's paying him off and jack is saying you know you need to think about the future and after they leave and eckhart says to himself where are you spending your nights is he yeah. referring to his affair with grissom's yes. girlfriend yep yeah, so he knows. It, okay, so the insinuation then is that Eckhart's the one that told Grissom about it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
Okay, just just clearing that up because, like I said, I, <laughs> I I've I've seen this movie a million times, but there's probably been a good six or seven year gap since the last time I saw it, and it's another one of those movies too for me anyway that every time I watch it, I find something a little different, mm-hmm. um, or I perceive something a little differently, and I'm just like, oh, that's what that was, or that's what that meant, um, because sometimes you can watch a movie a million times, and you're so used to interpreting something one way that you you're it's like your brain just automatically interprets it the way that you mm-hmm. have for years uh until for whatever reason you see it differently and you go oh oh my god i've been perceiving this thing <laughs> incorrectly uh for so long which uh could have marvelous applications in other aspects of life if you were to if you were to do yep. uh examine other things that perhaps you um Perhaps you've just been writing off or, or automatically perceiving to be a certain way. But but that's not this podcast. That's not that's not what we're talking about this time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so so the characters in this movie, I think, are just they're wonderful. Um, and, and the fact that the Joker is he, he the fact that he shines so brightly, it, it's only a detriment if you say I, I needed more Batman in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, which I totally understand. But again, as a piece of of cinema from start to finish, I, I think it's great, and I think it works in every way. Oh yeah, it's um, like I said, it is just it's one of those movies that has always existed to me, and the fact that it's a great movie just adds to that and makes it so rewatchable. I mean, there's other movies that. I loved as a kid, but I may not want to watch them over and over again now. And I think it's it's such a important part of our culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just think people don't even realize that and just the impact that it had. And it, yeah, just as far as comic book movies go, I mean, that's I feel like, yeah, I, I would say Christopher Reeve, Superman, that did start to take superhero Mm -hmm. movies more seriously but i just feel like batman just like opened up a whole new world with having like a darker take Mm -hmm. on all these characters and i just think that was that was really important but yeah it's just uh like i said i could rewatch it forever and i would never get tired and just like you i i still find these things that i didn't notice before it's always like something special and i I go through like the Batman official movie book and just like read through everything in there. (laughs) And I like to see the like props and the costumes and concept art and set photos. I mean, any bit of uh, information I can get that I haven't Mm -hmm. seen before is like gold to me. Uh, I don't know if you follow them on Instagram, but it's Burton's Gotham. No. And they, they recently like they reposted it. It was this, uh, Bob Ringwood put his collection of Polaroids that he took on the set of Batman 89 uh, up for auction. And there were pictures of the Polaroids. And it was amazing because it's just kind of these like candid shots of everybody in costumes. So it was like this image of Jack Nicholson, images of Jack Nicholson's Joker I've never seen before. You know, I get used to seeing the same reference photos over and over and over again because it's just what's available. But yeah. to see this stuff, it's I think like I you have get to see it. Yeah, it's like you get to see it from a fresh angle. And um, also, I didn't know if you knew this, but there 
is a, a comic book series being written by Sam Hamm and John, uh, drawn by Joe Quijones. And it's a continuation of the Batman, uh, Burton Batman story. It's just called Batman 89, but it's supposed to be oh. taking place, uh, I believe, after Returns because Catwoman is a character in it. Oh, my. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to get on that. That's something that's going to have to happen. I, I just started following that uh, on Instagram, by the way. Um, some of these images that you're talking about, I have seen, and some of them I absolutely have not. And I'm <laughs> going to really enjoy going back and looking at these. Um, and it's so cool, too, because uh, looking at some of these costumes, uh, I feel the 80s. And it just it reminds me of it's actually really putting me in the headspace of, of being a kid and and just the way everything looked back then, mm-hmm. um, especially with with uh, costume fabrics and and then of course the Polaroids. Wow, this is this is really taking me back. The movie adaptation too. It looks like they have some some pictures from from that uh, from that comic as well, which mm-hmm. which we only ever had one copy of, and I couldn't even begin to tell you what happened to that thing. It's probably <laughs> long since destroyed. I know we haven't really addressed uh, Robert Wall as as Alex Knox, <laughs> Knox, yeah. Um, which we got to do before we stop because, I mean, did did Robert Wall ever go on to do anything uh, apart from Arliss, uh, Batman and Arliss? Is that uh, I'm that was really, like? I'm not sure, but I feel like I even as a kid I liked his character. I feel like he's mm-hmm. he is such a part of this movie that it's hard to imagine it without him yeah. and. And he did I not wish, get a fair shake. I wish he could have been in Batman Returns. I, I do know that I think it was the it was the script that uh, not Sam Hamm wrote, but there was there was someone else that wrote the second script for Batman Returns. I can't think of who it was now, but I do know that they wanted to just bring Knox back to kill him off. So oh. kind of glad that he did. I'm glad he didn't come back then. Yeah, that would have been. That's just cruel. Uh, yeah, although I will say he he really pissed me off in in the movie just one time like because the whole time I was like oh look at Knox like he's just he's so earnest G- yeah. give him his grant give this man his <laughs> grant and at, at some point after uh, Vicky she has the encounter with with Bruce Wayne and the Joker comes in and crashes the moment and he shoots Bruce uh, like after all that. Uh, you know, uh, Knox is like, where have you been talking to Vicky? And she tells him basically what happened. And mm-hmm. he's just more or less like, OK, so <laughs> you were being threatened by a sociopathic clown and your would-be <laughs> boyfriend was shot point blank. <laughs> Let me tell you what I've been doing. <laughs> like, Fuck you. Um, but, you know, I think that it, it was at least like true to form with the character, you know, because he oh, was yeah. very focused on what he was doing and he wanted that story. Um, but it, it, it kind of showed me at that point. I was like, well, he really wants that story. <laughs> because that's, that's pretty traumatic, but he was willing to just kind of brush it aside Move for her. On. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, we, we spent a lot of time talking about the Joker uh, and we are kind of moving towards the end of, of the time that we have. But I do also want to talk about uh, Kim Bassinger because we haven't talked about her and she absolutely needs to be discussed because uh, I think she was great as Vicky Vale. I'm not really familiar with the character, 
Um, but I remember her making a really big impression on me as a child. Not that I was, uh, you know, it wasn't like one of those sort of prepubescent, you know, fascinations that, you know, mm-hmm. one would have so much as I was just kind of enamored by the character. She was very, uh, uh, I really liked the angle that she was coming from. And I didn't understand what it was when I was a kid. But watching this again last night, I saw her as an uh, another artist, which mm-hmm. is what I thought was cool about the, like the dynamic that she had with the Joker and like his fascination with her. So I thought that that was really interesting. And just the fact that uh, she kind of started piecing together the fact that Bruce Wayne was Batman, which they weren't very explicit about in the film, but it's in the performance uh, from Kim Bassinger. Or is it Basinger? Wasn't there a family guy joke about that? Uh, I'm not I sure. Remember. I always thought it was Basinger, but I, I just figured it was up to people's, um, huh. not interpretation, but the way they pronounced it. Yeah, um, but I, I really I really enjoyed her character. Um, the only thing that I didn't like about the movie uh, itself, and this was, I guess, the, the second thing that I had mentioned at the start of the conversation, is that it does, it seems to jump really fast yeah <laughs> uh, in the development of her relationship uh with bruce wayne it's kind of like they're on and then they're really on and then all of a sudden she's like in so there's no like there's no like romantic buildup. so it's kind of hard to buy their relationship but i do really appreciate her character and kind of like the uh her fascination with with what batman is and i i would i would be very willing to believe that she was not necessarily in love with bruce wayne as much as she was uh fascinated by the character uh, or by oh, batman yeah. just everything yeah i can get that you know just a, as a person who who would be fascinated by that and i mean come on like you're gonna get some great shots <laughs> like if, <laughs> if if photography is your bag then you know you're you're gonna get uh, you're gonna get some pretty amazing opportunities. Uh, and the other thing, though, that I certainly regret uh, having waited so long to to uh, talk about Kim Bassinger. Um, she's actually from Athens, Georgia, which uh, I'm from Athens, Georgia. So anytime yeah, I didn't know that. you get uh, anytime you're able to make that connection, it's just really cool. Um, and I had totally forgotten that she was a Georgia girl and that she graduated from UGA. Go dogs. Mm-hmm. Now, what reminded me, though, was uh, was towards the end of the movie where the Joker kind of unleashes his his, uh, you know, his ultimate scheme to murder as many people as possible. Uh, She gets out of the car and she says something about gas. It's going to kill everybody. (laughs) Whoa. Holy shit. Uh, That was an accent if I had ever heard one. (laughs) She let it slip. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, wait a minute. Holy shit. I totally forgot that she was from Athens, Georgia. Um, So that was a really happy moment for me. But yeah, I I just, I love the movie. There are so many things that we did not talk about um, that that I really wish we could have or had the time to talk about because there's just, there's so much wacky shit in oh, this yeah. movie that is just so fun to to examine and discuss um but uh for for lack of that i would like to know what is your favorite scene from this movie oh wow let me think it is probably going to involve the joker in some way or yeah i uh, yeah i can see that i would say it's either it's got to have a print soundtrack so it's either going to be the museum scene or it's going to be the parade I think the parade, because I remember as a kid, like, 
miming Jack Nicholson's movements while he is doing his little dance mm-hmm. on the float. And I remember when that, whenever I heard that song, I'd like kind of do that thing where he's like, you know, pumping his arms up in the air. And I always yeah. just thought that was that seemed like a lot of fun, even though I knew that that was going to be like killing those people later. I thought that was a lot of fun. And I also always loved the ending as a kid. I had a real fascination with bad guys falling to their death. I don't know what it was. It just seemed like that was the right thing to do. Of course, I think it seemed yeah, that way to a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I do think that, yes, in the comics, the Joker should never die. Like, you're, you got to keep your villains around to keep them going and keep having more stories. But as a kid, I just figured, yep, this is how the Joker dies. And I just like the whole thing of him getting that, you know, Batman's uh, using that little uh, bowl of thing and mm-hmm. tying him to that gargoyle. And I would still say that he does, like, it is his own... He's hoisting himself by his own petard, even if, you know, Batman did swing that thing around his leg. I guess he could have just jumped on over and grabbed the balcony again. But I know I just really like that part with the gargoyle weighing him down. And it's just like he's slowly falling down like the rungs to the ladders and he's just making that face. And then then he just falls and he's got that little laughing box in his jacket. I mean, that is so creepy. So, yeah, I would I'd say the parade scene and then his his death is always really uh, exciting to me, even though I know what's going to happen. There aren't very many scenes that I can think of that that aren't engaging or enthralling to me. Um, just you know, from from the very start of the film to the end. And uh, again, Prince is one of those things that we really didn't even uh, <laughs> talk about. Not that okay, not that Bat Dance was in the movie. Um, <laughs> fucking bat dance now. <laughs> oh, all right, I, and, and I'm not gonna talk shit about it. I'm not because it's it's fucking beautiful. Um, it's it's a work of art. It made me feel things as a child that uh, <laughs> wasn't really sure of what I was feeling. Um, <laughs> and I'm still not 100 percent on that, <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah, bat dance was fucking amazing. Prince's involvement. Uh, in that film, it it just it seems so uh, it it seems so incongruent with the Dark Knight and even with yeah. Tim Burton, and yet it works somehow. Probably because it's fucking Prince. Um, I think so. But, I mean, just the way that the way that that video just kind of seamlessly bleeds into my perception of the 1989 Batman and isn't immediately jarring or causing extreme amounts of cognitive dissonance (laughs) is a testament to something. I'm not sure what, but (laughs) definitely something it's, I think it's great. It's a piece of Americana. I, I, uh, I never saw the music video until I got the, two-disc special edition Batman DVD. I didn't know it existed. I didn't didn't know any of them existed because I think that uh, it has Party Man on it as well. And I Mm -hmm. was like, wow, there's music videos for this? And that's the first time I ever saw and heard Bat Dance. And I was like, wow, this is uh, 
it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it truly is. Uh, I had I had that on VHS or not not VHS. I'm sorry, audio cassette. I mean, it wasn't a whole lot of tape, but I would flip that thing over and over and over again, and I I wore mm-hmm. that fucker out. <laughs> that uh, it was just a single, and that that was it. I think it was just uh, Party Man and and Bat Dance. It, we did have the original motion picture soundtrack as well. But that was a separate um, that was a separate deal. So that was just a yeah. little single that I had and, and treasured immensely. <laughs> I lived in Savannah, Georgia at the time, going back to the good old South. I, I am shocked beyond amazement that I don't actually own it. Um, but there are a lot of movies oh, that I don't own that I should. I've got it in every format. <laughs> okay, I don't have it in Laserdisc, but I actually do have a little Betamax tape of it that I found oh, somewhere. Wow. And I was like, I got to have this. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if, uh, if you find it, you got to buy it. Oh, yeah. That's Batman 1989, at least according to this guy right here, right now, uh, at this moment in time. And in future moments in time, should you listen to this, uh, you know, at a time that is not now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for, for oh, yeah, joining me. Yeah, I would talk about it till I was blue in the face. Yeah, and there's, there's so much more to say, too. That's the thing, um, you know, because yeah. I, I always... I always wonder sometimes when I do these shows, especially uh, if if I aim to not talk about it in a linear fashion, um, you know, somebody that may be listening that's just like really hoping that we're going to talk about one thing and we never do. Um, <laughs> that's always kind of a fear of mine, because, again, you know, it felt like we tagged uh, Vicky Vale and uh, Prince onto the end there just because I was so excited talking about the other stuff I fully intended to, but sometimes it just doesn't, um, sometimes it just doesn't happen. It's just the way it goes. It is. You, you can't sacrifice certain aspects of good conversations for the, the, the potential conversations or conversations that you, uh, that you could have had. So that's, that's something I've learned in the podcasting game. And, you know, you can always go back and and do it again and uh, and talk about those things. That's the beauty of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's always going to be more time to talk about it. And yeah, it's hard to fit um, everything about the movie in two hours. Yeah, for sure. Um, but we've also got Batman Returns to talk about uh, as well yeah. as <laughs> just the just the multitude of amazing episodes of the animated series, which, uh, yeah, I don't even know where to start with that because they are, they are art in the truest sense. Most each and every one of them. (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's definitely it for, for Batman, at least for the moment. Um, again, thank you so much for doing this. Um, I know this was one you were looking forward to, but as always, I'm, uh, very grateful for, for your being here. Oh yeah. You're very welcome. Anytime. There's always going to be Uh, more movies that I would definitely want to talk about. All right. Well, I very much look forward to it, man. And uh, we will talk again soon. You take care, Zach. Thanks. You too. That is another pod in the ground, y'all. And I think I wore myself out in that one. I got way too excited in the preamble and it was just too much Gotham goodness for me to keep up. Zach here, on the other hand, is a hero, and I'd like to offer another sincere thanks to him for talking shop with me for the past couple of hours. For real, though, y'all go ahead and give him a follow on Instagram. Again, that's at Zachary Jackson Brown Art, and you will absolutely not regret it. And Zach, remember, you are my number one guy.
Oh, and hey, y'all, we're doing The Force Awakens next month. How about them apples? Once more, I've been your host, Grayson Parker Marcotte. Thank you for listening to the Sleeping Giant Podcast. Until next time, y'all.